Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 28th, 2023, we continue our series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Law or Gospel, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Luke chapter 5, verse 33 through 6, 11. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. All too often, we become this candle that's meant to give light that we cover up for fear what others might think or say of us. But Jesus is hanging out, having a feast with a large company of tax collectors, of others, and of sinners. There was room at Jesus's table. Is there room at yours? Have you created room in your life to sit with and meet with and be with and love on people who are different than you, who see the world different than you, who understand life different than you, whose convictions are different than yours? And by all standards, we could consider them as someone who doesn't walk with Jesus, someone Jesus seeks to save. Do we allow space for that in our life, or do we become a bright light shining among bright lights and never get out in the world to actually shine our light in the dark like Christ has called us to do? Friends, if that's Christ's mission, seek and save the lost, it's the mission of Christ's people. Last week, of course, uh, Thomas introduced to us the scribes and Pharisees as these righteous uh, men uh, who um, were sending a lot of questions to Jesus, Uh, questions that were kind of really strong uh, and questioning whether or not he's accurate in the things that he's saying, the things that he is, in fact, doing. The context today is going to show us some incredible continuity of the Old to the New Testament. Um, Oftentimes I get the question of how much of the Old Testament is relevant today? And we start to look at what is the continuity and the discontinuity of the Old to the New Testament. We're not going to spend a lot of time going through that kind of deep theological look, but we're going to look at it in part because today is about the object of our faith. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to deliver a message to these scribes, to these Pharisees, to bring clarity as to whom he is. He is uh, the Lord of the Sabbath, he's going to say today. He's the Son of Man. He's going to point to this authority in three different ways. The three stories are about Jesus as he encounters a clash and even at times a comparison um, to to the scribes and the Pharisees. You're going to see the scribes and the Pharisees want to preach law as Jesus is going to share the gospel with them. He's going to keep pointing to the the gospel that is him. I'm the gospel, he's saying. I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. And we'll see this in a number of different ways. But the scribes and the Pharisees are actually seeking approval by the law. Their salvation through the law, through the obedience that they have kept Jesus is basically going to be communicating to them that salvation is only through him. And that in fact, they lack the main requirement of salvation, faith. It's important for us to understand that you are not saved by the law, but you are saved by Christ. He's going to emphasize this to them. But we're saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. 
It leaves with this question of just how righteous do these men think they are? Self-righteousness is something that I believe we all suffer from. We have moments and times where we are pointing to our good deeds, our good works as the thing that shows that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna show you today the beauty of the gospel. I hope that the word comes clear within it. The righteousness of the scribes is immense. We can't take anything away from the holiness of these men in that they are incredibly righteous. They're blameless or free from gross crimes. They didn't kill anybody. They haven't stolen anything. They have a strict conformity to the ceremonial laws, and we'll see that here in their questioning of Jesus on the Sabbath. The moral law, if I were to generalize it, is the rule of right living. I live a right or righteous life. I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy. And maybe even the ceremonial law, this law that is prescribing the ceremonies of religion. I follow the liturgy of worshiping God and going to church and we do this and then we pray and then we see, read his word, then we sing some songs and I fall into all this very strict liturgy as to how I worship God. There's a complexity when we look at righteousness or self-righteousness because we want to say about the Old Testament that the law is no longer really relevant. But listen in Jesus' own words, I'll put it on the screen, in Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20, Jesus says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, because of that, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. These are righteous men. These are, these are men who obey and follow the law to the dot, to the T, to the everything. These are righteous, holy men. And unless your righteousness, my righteousness, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Thanks be to God that Jesus came and fulfilled the law and all the prophets so that salvation belongs to the Lord and he has given it to you by faith. So how righteous are we? Well, we sometimes we point to our good deeds. We point to these things in our life that we say, man, I, I'm, I'm a pretty solid person, pretty good follower of Jesus Christ. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 64, 6. We have all Again, I'll say it. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We're so easily lured and enticed and we flitter and we flutter around in the wind of our own self-righteousness. Maybe you walk around and say, no, 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 I, I obey the law. I follow the law. I'm a high compliant person. 
but maybe within yourself you've developed, like me, elements of self-righteousness. Maybe some of these that apply to me, maybe they apply to you. How about job righteousness? I'm a hard worker. I'm the first one in, I'm the last one to leave. Does it make me a better worker than anybody else? But at times I believe that. Family righteous, my family's the best. They follow the Lord. We're a house of Jesus Christ. How's yours doing? Theological righteousness, my theology is the right theology. How about intellectual righteousness? I'm the smartest person in the room. I have the highest academic degree. I am intellectually righteous. Schedule righteous, I'm always on time. I'm not like some of those lazy, never on time people. Flexibility righteousness, I'm laid back, I'm relaxed, I'm late for everything because I don't wear a watch, I don't even know what time it is. I trust the Holy Spirit, do you? (laughs) Mercy righteousness, I take care of the poor, what do you do? Legalistic righteousness, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with those who do. I'm a high compliant rule follower. Financial righteousness, I'm good steward with God's money, not like some of those other pagan people who don't know how to use God's money to advance his kingdom. Political righteousness, one of my favorites, my candidate. If you vote for my candidate, then you're right with God. Tolerance righteousness, I'm not judgmental. I'm a lot like Jesus that way. Man, these self-righteousness things can just so easily creep into our everyday life where we're pointing to our self-righteousness that makes me a Christian rather than pointing to the object of our faith, which is the person of Jesus Christ. I am a sinner saved by grace. I stand before each and every single person here today as a sinner, not here on my own merits, my own works, but because of the works and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's where we place our faith. Jesus is gonna hammer this point home with these men. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we come to you now. We just ask that you would work in us to take these three stories and to to observe them, to look at them, to see what they say, to, to hear what Jesus is saying in response to the questions of these men. Help us, Lord, to grow in your grace. Help us to grow in a better understanding of you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our first point here today is that oftentimes comparing the old to the new can be misleading. When we compare the Old Testament to the New Testament, there are things that can be misleading. The first thing we're going to see here in verse 33, it says, And they said to him, the Pharisees and scribes said to Jesus, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours... They eat and they drink. Comparison, brothers and sisters, is the robber of all joy. But what's happening here is they're confronting him by comparing their disciples and John the Baptist's disciples as great followers of Jesus Christ. They're following this law. And your followers simply don't. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 34. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He's telling them, you're missing the whole point. You don't know to whom you're standing in front of. I'm the bridegroom. 
Why would anyone stop feasting and drinking in the grand reception and banquet of the arrival of the Messiah? When I go away, there'll be plenty of time for fasting. You guys aren't getting it. You're not understanding who you're talking to. You're missing the point. I, Jesus, am the Messiah. I'm the bridegroom. My disciples are simply celebrating in the banquet of my arrival. He then goes on as he says, he told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. If you wanna walk and talk about comparison of the old to the new, not only have you not hit the perfection of following the, the, the fullness of the law, you're standing here and comparing yourself to the only perfect man to walk the face of the earth. You don't match. You don't match. Verse 37. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. If you don't become a new creation, if you get filled with the Holy Spirit in an old trying to obey and follow the commands of the law as the means and methodology of your salvation, you're going to burst. You can't do this. And not only can you not do this, that skin, this fleshly body, will be destroyed. You can't force new wine into an old skin. He says in 38, but new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. New wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new. For he says, the old is good. They want complacency. They want to stay in their old path. This is what our families have done for centuries, for a millennia. We have followed God by our obedience to the law and you're asking us to stop doing this. How can we become new? Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus Christ has authority over new creations. And his call for us is to bring him, the new wine, into a new flesh, into a new desire, which is to follow the person of Jesus Christ. Their questioning is gonna continue it makes that cliche, that old adage, right? You can't teach an old dog a new trick. So what do they do? Part two here, the second section, uh, verse six, one through five. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He wants to drive this point. It says in 6.1, it says, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees says, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Why do you violate the law? If you're this holy guy, if you're this person who you proclaim, why are you and your disciples getting the kernels out of the wheat to eat? 
Look at what he says. He responds to this question. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He goes back to the Old Testament to show the continuity of the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. He takes them to the Old Testament of 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. This story about David and his men traveling cross country and they come across a temple and they're hungry. The bread that was there was the only bread that's reserved for the priests. It's bread that can only be eaten by priests who are holy while in the temple, in the presence of God. It just simply removes it from the presence of God. I'll take it out of the temple and I'll feed my men here. You guys make new bread for here because we're going to get on the road. Here's what Jesus is trying to show them. The parallel of Luke 6 is Matthew 12, verses 5 through 8. Listen to it this way. In verse 5, he says, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Listen to what he says in verse 7. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What Jesus is telling them is that I want your mercy, I want your compassion before you follow your ritual. He says in verse five of Luke six, and he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Pastor Thomas talked about this last week. It's from Daniel seven, verses 13 and on, where it refers to uh, the prophecy of the, of the heavens. There came one like a son of man, and he came in the ancient days and was presented before him. It talks about his kingdom authority. It talks about his, his authority on earth and that this authority will never, ever come to an end. Jesus just said to them, I'm that guy. I'm the son of man. I'm the one with the authority. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is claiming to be the son of man that he alone has authority. He alone has dominion and that authority and that dominion will never, ever change. He is the authority of the law. He is the authority of the ceremony. And he wants us to exercise the obvious compassion and mercy before the ritual. The scribes and the Pharisees finally get it. He's finally spoke clarity to them, but they're not liking this. They're not liking this at all. Because this guy just claimed that he's the son of man. He claimed that he has authority over the Sabbath. This guy's claiming he's God. What are we going to do about this? You know what? If everybody finds out that this guy's God, that we've been all doing it wrong, we've been compliant with the law and the law and the law, and he's telling us that it's all about him, it's all about him, that's not going to look good for us. He, in fact, 
wants to make sure that we understand that the Pharisees are the ones who don't like change. Point three, that he doesn't like change and he also doesn't like the messenger. The messenger being Jesus. So look at the third story. On another Sabbath, he entered, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. They're watching Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. If we can just find a violation of the law that we can prosecute him, that we can kill him, we can get rid of him, then none of us have to come forward in our shame that none of us have been following the promised Messiah. None of us have been the righteous shall live by faith. We've been living by the law. If he's right, we're not part of God's people. Look at what he, what he says to them. He wants to break the ceremonial law because then we can get rid of him. But look at what he says. Jesus says in verse eight, he says, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come, stand right here. I'm gonna bring you to the front of the room. I'm gonna have you just stand right here so everyone can see you. And he's standing there with his withered hand And he rose and he stood there. The man is stepping forward in faith. He's just trusting what Jesus is asking him to do. And Jesus said to them, he's talking now to them, he says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? Let me bring this guy up, the guy who needs help. We have the ability to help him. And let me ask you guys, should we do harm or should we help? Here's another way of Jesus saying it. On the Sabbath day, is it okay to plot to kill a man like you're doing with me? Or is it okay to show mercy and heal a man? You tell me, what's the law? You guys conspire to kill me? Or we heal the guy? He says in verse 10, and after looking around at them all, right, he's going to make eye contact with every single one of them as he works the room, right? He's calling out their self-righteousness. He's calling it out, leaving the guy standing there. And he says to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. They don't like it. But here's what he did. Jesus wants to make sure you can all see what his authority can do. Because Jesus himself can speak things into existence. He notably calls their attention. He doesn't touch the man. He simply tells him, stretch out your hand. 
I want you to see this. I want you guys to understand. I'm giving you every opportunity to plug in right here and catch on to what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you is not only am I the son of man, the Lord of the Sabbath, I am the great I am. I am the word that became flesh and dwelt among you. I can speak healing into existence. I can make something from nothing. I can do all things because I am God. Do you get it? you get it the son of man has all authority to show compassion and mercy but the anger the frustration the self-righteousness that's being attacked by the pharisees is number one to change my view of my righteousness by the law would be to admit that i have been wrong for decades that my family has been wrong for hundreds of years that my people have been wrong for thousands of years We were entrusted with God, the oracles of God, the law of God. We've been fulfilling the law of God and you're telling me that I'm not saved by it, that I have to put my faith in the son of man. This is gonna ruin everything. I'll be exposed that I don't have faith in the person of Jesus Christ and him alone, but I have all my faith in my compliance to the law. Secondly, all these years of being wrong and that my relationship with God is not measured by my obedience to the law. But as Thomas preached last week, faith must be seen. How do I take faith which is invisible and make it seen? How will they know that you are Christians? How will they know that you're followers of Christ? One word, love, compassion, The very mercy of God is how they would possibly know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Your faith must be seen in the way you love. But thirdly, man, if I'm wrong on this point, then everyone who's been following me is being misled. I'm leading them to hell. I'm not leading them to the kingdom, to the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm not leading them to heaven. I'm leading them to compliance that does not save. It's true that real faith must abide in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith without works is a dead faith, as Thomas told us last week. I'm not denying the law. I'm simply stating that the law is a tutor. It's a standard by which we know who we are, not who we become. It tells me that I am a sinner, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and that I must put the object of my faith before everything, which is the person of Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill the law and all the prophets. How did he do this? Love. He loved the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and strength, and his neighbor as himself. It is through this one word that all of the law and all of the prophets are fulfilled. It is love. Jesus is the son of man. He has all authority in him. His dominion, his kingdom will never end. The question that we need to walk away with every single day, am I following the law or am I following Jesus Christ? We should love the law. Psalm 119.97 says, oh, how I love your law. All day long I meditate on it. I love the law of God. 
for it is the standard that reminds me of my need of the person of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, holiness, your holiness is not the way to Jesus. Jesus is the way to your holiness. It is only through Christ that we can stand before him holy and blameless. His works, his righteousness satisfied the wrath that was due unto us. If we would only believe and put our faith in him and let that faith be seen because Jesus fulfilled it. I got three minutes. Turn with me to Galatians if you want. Go far to your right. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. This is so critical for us. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. Look at what Paul says here. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh like your self-righteousness. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Stop living your life for the law and start surrendering in abiding faith in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is that spirit that will lead you. Your response to the difficulties, the, the, the afflictions of life is the same. God is not calling you to a result. God has called you to a process. You step through it by abiding faith in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If you hit self-control, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what God's calling us to. When the afflictions of life come to you, You don't respond in your fleshly desire of I'm keeping the law, what are you doing? No, you step through it with agape love. You don't step through it with one of the cheap knockoffs of natural love. It's not your eros, your romantic love. It's not your philia or your friendship love. It's not storge or your affection like your parental love. It is agape love. Step through that affliction with the love of Christ. That's what he wants us to know. It's that faith. It's not the law. But I tell you, when you step through that, the law will be fulfilled because you have abiding faith and that faith will be compelled into works and it will not be of your own doing, but it is the works of Jesus Christ through you. It is the new wine in the new skin that produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Sorry, I get a little worked up. Don't say that. That's sick him to a hound dog, right? Brothers and sisters, we have this great opportunity today. We get to do communion together as a family in remembrance of him. When we start to realize what God is doing in our life, we need to stop and reflect and remember upon him Now, if you didn't pick up one of these on your way in, just raise your hand. There's some folks with baskets. They'll start dealing them out to you. So if there's any any who forgot to get them. Now, there's a couple over here. Those that are trying to see hands. 
one down up here in front. But as you guys are preparing for communion, right, you take that bread out. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took that bread and he, he pulled it out and he broke and he says, this is my body. This body is for you. My works, my righteousness, my perfect fulfillment of the law. I'm gonna sacrifice it for you so that you are no longer bound to the law. You are set free because every time you take this bread, I want you to do so in remembrance of me, Jesus says. On the same night, he took the wine. This is my blood. It's the new covenant. Your faith, the object of your faith is the person of Jesus Christ. Your problems, your afflictions, your difficulties, you step through them with the love of God, knowing that nothing can separate you from him. That in this sacrifice that he made, when you do this, you do it in remembrance of him. For every day, I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Amen? Our Father and our God, we come to you now to worship you. To worship you in song. I pray, Lord, that as you rise us up today to stand in unity as brothers and sisters, that we would wholeheartedly sing this song unto you. To your glory. Amen. That's it. That Jesus would bring new wine, that he, we would bring more Jesus, more Jesus to more and more people. That he would use us, that he would crush us, that he would afflict us, that he would cause us to trust and depend on him through the power of his Holy Spirit. I don't know if today's message has awakened something in you. I would encourage you to talk to our team back at the following Jesus section. Maybe you've been living your life in such strict compliance and legalism that you thought that you've been saved by your good deeds. Talk to someone about it. Or maybe you're just in a place where you're feeling the Holy Spirit working in you in such a way that you just want to pray with someone. We've got a whole prayer team down here that would love to pray with you and pray for you. Or come find me or one of the pastors or any person at Info Central and just let us minister to you with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our faith, our hope, the object of our faith and hope is Christ in Christ alone. That will compel in us faithful obedience. Our Father and our God, as we go, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, that you would develop us and shape us and mold us to be followers of Christ, to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. In every circumstance, may it always be to your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Stay, minister, love each other. I'll see you next week.